This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. All uses of trademarks or brands are not meant to convey sponsorship or affiliation of this podcast. From Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate, this is The Relentless, a podcast about looking at sales differently. What if? What if I thought outside the box? What if it was more of a celebration with our clients than work? In every episode, we're pulling back the curtain with thought leaders across industries and talking about how they embrace change, overcome hurdles, and stay relentless. I'm Dr. Julie Gurner. I've spent over a decade studying the behaviors of the ultra-successful and have used those insights to empower business leaders in finance, technology, and real estate. Type the phrase work-life balance into a search engine and you'll get all kinds of advice. Exercise, meditate, waste less time, unplug. But when it comes to real estate professionals and entrepreneurs, work-life balance is a different beast and more nuanced. Real estate agents sacrifice a lot of their evenings and weekends in order to grow their business. Turns out, the times traditionally reserved for family, hobbies, and downtime are when your clients need you most. The flip side is that non-traditional schedules let you pursue passions and participate in your kid's day-to-day life. When the lines between work and life are blurred, it can be really scary taking those first steps to create structure and set boundaries. So on today's show, I want to explore what happens when scheduling is up to you and not your boss. Just because I have a flexible schedule doesn't mean that I can do everything. And I think very often that can be one of the hardest things to explain to people. That's Kim Scott. She's had executive roles at some of the world's most influential technology companies. I worked at Google, and then I worked at Apple, and then I left to start writing a book and to be a coach. And it was, it was hard. It was hard not to have the structure. Two years ago, she wrote a groundbreaking bestseller called Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. In it, she disrupts traditional approaches to managing teams. And at the same time, she launched an executive education company and the brand called Radical Candor. Kim also has a unique approach to work-life balance. It's something she touches on in the book, but I wanted to go deeper. I think a danger of when we talk about work-life balance is we tend to be judgmental of others. And I think it's important to realize that we, there's not one way to live. You know, work-life balance is a really loaded term. I mean, it's overused, it's kind of clickbaity, but if you can put all of that aside, how would you define it yourself? So one of the things that I feared for a long time in my, I didn't get married till I was 40 and I didn't have kids till I was 41. And one of the things I feared for a long time, unnecessarily, was that once I had kids, I wouldn't be able to do great work. Hmm. And the truth of the matter is, I found that I've done the best work of my career after my children were born. So they, they weren't this terrible interruption. They, they were a wonderful addition, not only to my life, but to my work. Hmm. So I, I think very often when we talk about work-life balance, we make a mistake of thinking about it like a zero-sum game. And it's been my experience anyway that my work helps me enjoy the other parts of my life and the other parts of my life help me do better work. So for example, a couple of years ago, I was driving my kids home from somewhere, some after school thing. 
And they were fighting and screaming in the car. And I had a very bad parenting moment where I started <laughs> screaming at them back. And I was so angry, I had to like pull over to the side of the road. I said, it's not safe for me to drive right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I got out. We were in a parking lot and walked around the car. The kids are bawling. They think their mother has gone insane. Oh. And, and then we drove on home. And I had a call scheduled. And I was feeling bad that I had this call schedule. I, I wished that I had time to sit and talk to the kids. But anyway, the call was scheduled. I took the call. And I found that I was my calm, competent, professional self on the call. <laughs> and that was the best reassurance that I could possibly give the kids in that moment. So they both came and sat next to me. I had my arm around each one of them. And I was calm, competent, rational mom again. And so it's it was just a small anecdote. But I find that that very often my professional life gives me the ability to be the parent I really want to be. That sounds like the ideal situation where work and life are mutually beneficial. But what about those moments where there's a big push at work or you're working against a major deadline? Is work-life balance even possible in those moments? Well, here are the demands of my life. The demands of my life are I need eight, if not nine, hours of sleep. I need to exercise every day. I need to have at least an hour a day where I'm talking to someone who I love, ideally over dinner, but, mm -hmm. uh, but at some point. And I need to spend time with my children. And that doesn't always involve, you know, a quality conversation, but I need to, I need to have time with them. And so right. that's a lot of time. That's a whole lot of time. But there have been moments in my career where for a couple of weeks I didn't get the sleep and I didn't get the exercise. And, and so that's fine. That's okay. You can be flexible. You don't have to be totally rigid that every day all of these things have to happen. Now you're an entrepreneur and you founded Radical Candor, the brand, and you have to be a lot more nimble with your time. So I'm wondering, going from working for another to working for yourself, how does your work day become more structured? And do you have any tips for people making that transition? There were so many things that were disorienting about it. One is you wake up in the morning and it's just not clear <laughs> where to start. So it was, it was definitely a big drink of water at first. A few of the things that helped me a lot were figuring out what, what was the most important thing that I needed to do every day. Uh, the thing that if I haven't mm -hmm. done by the end of the day, I'll, I'll be annoyed with myself. And for me, that was writing. And so I made sure I did that first because that was the time when my mind was clearest. How important is structure in your workday? Do you have it structured out so that you say, okay, the first two hours are writing and then I'm going to do these particular things? Or is it a flexible schedule for you? So for me, I think I have problems focusing. So for me, structure is pretty important. So what I'll do is once the kids are off at school, first two hours are writing, and then I'll exercise. And I often, during that time, will take a walk with somebody I care about, most often my husband, but other people sometimes too. And so that's a nice mm -hmm. sort of way to begin the day. And then I'll block another two hours for writing. And then I'll schedule meetings later in the day when I'm usually too tired to get a lot of writing done. So I, I try to really block out. It doesn't always work, but I try to block out 
at least two, and if I can, three, two-hour chunks of time to, to do really focused, concentrated writing work. I was wondering about the value of time management. How do you really begin that process of, of managing your time when it's completely your own at this point? It's your completely your own schedule. What are some ways in which people can say, okay, this is how I could begin to build that process more effectively? Time management is crucial, but I think it's also very idiosyncratic. And so what works for me would not work for someone else, and what works for someone else would not work for me. I think I think I, I churned a lot of emotional energy early in my career on time management because I felt like I had to manage my time in a very rigid way and in the way that, mm-hmm. you know, people said you need these to-do lists and you need these all this tight, tight structure. And for me, that was awful. The big breakthrough in my time management was throwing away my to-do list and realizing that, for me, my mind was a filter. And if it forgot about something, then it meant that thing was not that important. (laughs) Well, so can I go a different direction then and ask you about your mindset? How do you stay if you don't have those lists, if you don't have that really rigid structure, how do you stay in the cognitive place to make it happen, follow through, keep yourself accountable, you know, when you're in charge of it? Those rigid lists might work for Mm -hmm. other people. I'm not saying they're a bad thing. I'm just saying they didn't work for me. The way that I have done it is I've tried to focus on what's really important, what's the most important thing I can do today. And then I've mm-hmm. I've had to work very hard not to get distracted by things that feel urgent but that are less important and also things that are sort of easy and quick to do so you get a little dopamine hit for doing them but but they actually just distract you from that other bigger important thing. Right. I've had to really work hard to get rid of distractions. I write in this room that has terrible internet connectivity. <laughs> it's not impossible. If somebody really needs to call me, they can get through right. to me. But like, if my kids need me, they walk up the hill to talk to me. So for me, that is really what's worked. So you've, you've almost sabotaged your ability to be distracted. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Because I am very distractible. And because it's tempting if you're sitting there and you have to make a big important pricing decision or you're thinking through how to structure a deal or how to get through to somebody you need to get through to in order to close a a real estate deal, it is really easy to just get buffeted by events and to let this email that comes in that is much easier to deal with than this hard thing to think about. It's much easier to, to just answer that email and think about the thing that's hard to think about. So I find it really important to acknowledge that I'm very distractible and to create some guardrails around my own distractibility. So Kim, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about creating space for thinking through those hard things. Hey, listeners. Mentorship is an invaluable tool to evolve professionally and get ahead in your career faster. But it's also an investment. It takes time to develop and have it pay off. We want your questions. 
What specific questions do you have around finding a mentor and growing a strong relationship that will inspire greatness? We'd really like to hear from you. So send us a message. Our email address is century21pod at slate.com or tweet your question with the hashtag century21pod. And we may use your question in an upcoming episode. We're back with Kim Scott. You wrote this book, Radical Candor, and it's phenomenal. Thank uh, you. But do you have any carryover concepts like think time? Like one of the things you advise ex- executives to do that I thought was really novel and important was to have some time that you call think time where executives would schedule in to really be able to think and clarify. Is this something that you do for yourself or do you think that it's something more important if you're in kind of an established or traditional workforce? No, I think I think think time is probably even more important for entrepreneurs, for people who work on their own than it is for executives. I mean, the reason why think time is so important is that if if you don't really schedule time in your calendar to think about the things that you feel are the most important, the only time you'll have to think about those things is at three o'clock in the morning when they wake you up. Right, and <laughs> right. and that's not not good. That's not a there's a there's a rabbinical saying that says don't make decisions in the dark. Don't don't think about those things at three a.m. One of the things I found coaching CEOs and also as uh, when when I myself have been an entrepreneur and been leading a a business is that I'm so interrupt driven, and if I don't really take time to to block time for myself, then it doesn't happen. So I think very often we use our calendars to schedule the things that we do with other people. Mm-hmm. And we also often use our calendars to schedule time for things we don't really want to do. <laughs> and so I, I, I found that sw- swapping it was very helpful. I would schedule time for work that I really wanted to do that I felt was really important that I was going to do alone. And I scheduled it during the day so that I didn't feel like I had to do it late at night or in the middle of the night when mm-hmm. it when it woke me up. So I think really one of the great thrills of being an entrepreneur or working on your own or, or being a, a real estate agent or being in that kind of career is that you really can, you have more freedom to structure your time. You have more freedom to reject demands on your time from the outside world. So take advantage of that. Well, one of the concepts I love that you said, and I think you said it perfectly, was interrupt-driven. Yes. And I want you to say a little bit more about that and what that means as a concept. So what can happen if you're not very conscious, if you don't take very conscious steps to prevent it from happening, is you wake up and you look at your email first off. And your email is popping up all kinds of random things. Some of them are important. Some of them are urgent. Some of them really don't matter at all. Mm -hmm. And all of these things are in this one place. And you get kind of a stimulus response dopamine hit from just taking them one after another. But you're you're not necessarily using your time wisely. You're just responding to interruptions. Mm -hmm. And so I have found with email, one of the things that's really important is just to to block two, either one one hour chunk of time or two half an hour chunks of time in which I will take a look at my email and I will rip through it as quickly as possible. And then I'll stop. And you know what? If I miss some emails, 
I'm sorry, but I'm going to, otherwise you spend two or three hours a day just responding to email, and that's a huge chunk of your time. Well, one of the things I found really interesting about the way you began the conversation around it is that you talked about your needs first Mm -hmm. and then kind of placing business within those. And I think a lot of times what we tend to do is make business the first priority and then try to fit in the other things like sleep that maybe are very essential things. Yeah, essential for business. It's if you don't get enough sleep, that's not just bad for your life. It's bad for your work. There was, there was a moment when I was starting a company and I realized the most important thing I could do for that company, the most important thing I could do for my team, the most important thing I could do for my investors to make it su- successful was get enough sleep and exercise. <laughs> and again, so it's not, it's not as though, it's so tempting to feel like, oh, getting enough sleep is taking something away from from my work. It's not. You you can't do good work if you don't get enough sleep. You know, what does bad work-life balance look like? Like if you were to give me a snapshot of some of the traits or things that you might look for in an entrepreneurial space and saying, okay, this person is struggling with work-life balance, what are the elements that really you see commonly? I think the first element is just feeling miserable. You shouldn't hate your job. You shouldn't hate your work. Uh, so, so the first, and sometimes it's not actually your work that you hate. It's just that you're doing too much or too little of it. Mm-hmm. Work should be one of life's pleasures, not one of life's great pains. And if you if you take the time to figure out what you need to do differently, so that you can enjoy your work, or at least not dread it. I mean, not everybody wakes up every morning, you know, excited to jump out of bed, and that's a lot of pressure to put right. to put on ourselves. But if you wake up with a sense of dread about your work, you need to change something. I think another thing that we do to ourselves very often is we're always trying to plug a weakness. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to do more of what we're bad at and to fix problems. And I think one of the great things about being an adult is that you can you can quit doing that. You can start figuring out what you enjoy doing and doing more of it. And if you hate doing something, figure out a way to stop doing it. Uh, one of the things I learned on a, a team I worked with, they were struggling under just just mounds and mounds of work. And I said, okay, let's take a look at the work and let's figure out what work we can just stop doing. And it was incredible how much unnecessary work that team was doing. So that was a big productivity gain right there. And then I said, okay, so what are the things that we can automate? And what are the things that you as individuals are doing that someone else could do because they like doing it that you yourself hate doing? And so one of the great things about our economy is that there's specialization of labor. So do the work you like to do. And if you don't like the work you're doing, find other work. How has your approach and philosophy really evolved around work-life challenges, your options? Very often, especially in this world that we live in today, there's, there's so much emphasis on growth and excellence. And I think that that gets us in a lot of trouble. So for a long time in my career, I sort of thought 
the best way to build a great team is to hire the most ambitious people you can possibly find. And I had this realization when I was working at Apple. I was working with this this executive who was enormously successful. And she said, on a great team, you need people who are in rock star mode and also people who are in superstar mode. Mm -hmm. And they want very different things and you need to manage them very differently. And I said, what are you talking about? What's the difference between rock star mode and superstar mode? And she said, people are at different stages in their career at different times in their lives. And there are times when people have developed a certain skill set and they're capitalizing on that skill set and they don't necessarily want the next big job, but they're doing a great job. And thank God they don't want your job. They're just doing a great job. Like, don't screw it up. Those are people who are in rock star mode. There are also times when we're all in superstar mode, when we want to grow really fast, we want to learn new things, we want, we want that next job. And I think making sure that you honor yourself when you are in rock star mode and also honor yourself when you're in superstar mode and that you honor those around you when, when they're in these different modes is a great way for people to feel like their work is contributing to their life and their lives are contributing to their work. When I was working at Google, I got pregnant with twins. And right at this moment, somebody who was on the, on the board of Twitter came and said, we're thinking of hiring a new CEO. Would, do you want to throw your hat in the ring? Wow. And a couple of months before that, I would have cut off my left arm for that opportunity. Right. But yeah. now now I wasn't so sure. And I, I called my doctor and I said, what do you think? She said, what's more important, that job or the hearts and lungs of your children? <laughs> like, well, wow. <laughs> I, I guess I'm not. And, and remember, I was. it's not true that every woman who is pregnant with twins couldn't do that job. But I was having a hard pregnancy and, and I was not young. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I needed to take it easy. But taking it easy didn't mean I needed to quit. I was in rock star mode. I had a job that I had had for five years and I was good at the job and I had a great team around me. And and it turns out Google is the perfect place for a high-risk pregnancy. Lots of great food everywhere and uh, <laughs> and a, a little lap pool. So I could continue to be in rock star mode and continue to do a good job and be proud of that. I didn't have to feel ashamed that I wasn't throwing my hat in the ring to be CEO of this big company. When you're working for yourself, everything is your own creation. Yeah. So how do you begin to translate that to an entrepreneurial place? Well, so one of the things that I have found, for example, is you can always take on more or less work. So for example, one of the things that I do right now is to help companies roll out the ideas in radical candor in their corporations. And I just limit the number of new opportunities I'll take on. I mean, it means I make a little bit less money, but it also means I have time to write. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is learning how and when to say no to opportunities. And that's hard. I mean, there, there have been some opportunities that I've 
that I had that has it's pained me to say no, right? Because and it's hard. I'm not good at saying no. It's like especially hard for me to say no, and so developing the capacity to say no to opportunities when they're going to put you when when they're going to put you in a place where it doesn't feel sustainable, I think is really important. Do you have any tips for people to really establish their priorities to help them be more effective in, you know, the jobs that they're asked to do or the job that they're doing? I think one of the things that can really help is to take a moment and to stop and write down what are your short-term goals and needs, Mm -hmm. what are your medium-term goals and needs, and what are your long-term goals and needs? And for years, probably for the first decade and a half of my career, I was really clear on long-term and medium-term, but I had no idea what my short-term needs were. So I wasn't getting enough sleep. I, was, uh, I, I wasn't spending enough time having dinner with people who I really cared about. I wasn't exercising as regularly as I should have been. And so I really, I really believe that taking your short-term goals and needs seriously is just as important as focusing on the medium and long-term goals. So one of the things I recommend in Radical Candor is that you take a moment to figure out what is your, if not happiness, what's your contentment recipe? So write down those things. Another hack I would say is block time in your calendar to do what you really most want to do. And third is think about how much time you want to give every day to the reactive stuff, to social media, to email, to all of these all of these interruptive things that we have in our life. And and just turn it off the rest of the time. Give it the time you want to give it, but don't give it more time. You know, Kim, we gave our listeners a heads up that we'd be covering this topic and we heard from a Century 21 affiliate in Missouri. Here's the question from Misty Dowling. She's a part of the Century 21 Broughton team. She says, I'm the top agent in my company. With that comes the stress of balance. I've given 100% of my life to real estate. I try to set time and force a balance, but in this modern world, people are used to wanting it now and they can get it now. And this means I am expected to be available all the time. I used to have balance in my life and now I feel like I'm either letting clients down or my family down either way to be successful in my career. How do you explain to clients that you have to cut them off at some point? Are business hours even a real thing in real estate anymore? Yes, I feel your pain. It is so hard when people expect you to reply to them instantly. And nobody really honors the auto reply saying, I can't get right back to you. So I think a couple of things can be really helpful. One is because people don't usually really need a reply within minutes. So there are going to be certain hours of the day that I just turn it off. So for example, I, I never allow phones at the dinner table. When, when I go home and we're about to have dinner, everybody puts their phone in another room and we look at each other and have dinner. And holding that, and it's not a long time, it's sort of 45 minutes max, usually 30 minutes of dinner time, but holding that time sacrosanct gives me a feeling of agency and control over my own life, and it also allows us to have 
not always a great conversation around the dinner table, but a real conversation around the dinner table. So it leaves me with a feeling of agency, and it doesn't, nobody is too upset that I don't reply in within 45 minutes. So that's one thing that works. Sometimes I've tried a social media and email Sabbath. So I'll set an auto reply and say from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown or Saturday sundown to Sunday sundown, I'm not replying to email. And usually people people will respect that, especially if you call it a Sabbath. And so those are two things I've tried that helps. Does that make any sense? It makes a lot of sense. I mean, in my own opinion, I certainly piggyback a lot off of your response as well. And in fact, you know, when I meet with individuals, even for an exploratory meeting, I usually tell them that my workday ends at 8 p.m. and mm-hmm. that anything after that, I answer first thing the following morning. Yeah. Uh, and I try to hold to that because everyone will test you, right? They'll yes. send that email at 8.05. So in real estate, I think that oftentimes people can feel free to say, this is usually when I stop responding to emails. And you can make an exception, like unless we're in negotiations, unless uh, you know, there's an offer on the table or there's something active happening or something imminent, you know, that you do try to have a good balance in your life. And I think most people will appreciate that if you lay it out there. But if you don't have clearly defined boundaries, I think most people also, as clients, oftentimes will try to take advantage uh, of that notion that people should be, you know, always available, always on. And it puts pressure on you as well as frustrates them. So I try to kind of get their expectations on board. And even though I know I'm going to be tested, so uh, I have to make sure that I do my duty and hold to those as well. But yeah, I love the idea of taking a sabbatical and, and even phrasing it that way because it does show how sacred that time is. Yeah, it's a Sabbath, and, and I'm it's 24 hours, and I'm going to take it. I, I also think that a big part of the problem actually doesn't come from the expectations that others have of us, but from expectations that we put on ourselves. And so one of the things that I really struggle with is this desire to please. And sometimes the combination of my distractibility and my desire to please is a disaster for me. So so managing myself is perhaps even more important than trying to manage other people. So one of the questions that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast is, how do you define relentless? So the way that I define relentless is you, you want to, at the same time that you challenge yourself and challenge those around you very directly to be their best selves and to do their best work. You also want to remember to care personally about yourself and about those around you. And when you do both at the same time, when you can care at the same time that you challenge, then you can be relentless in a way that feels sustainable. You know, you really flip the model on its head quite a bit. It's a very holistic perspective, but I think one that oftentimes is missed because maybe of internal guilt or not having that permission to allow yourself to have those moments uh, because you feel that you should always be working. Yes. I mean, burning yourself out is is not effective. <laughs> so you can't be relentless if you're a puddle. So you got to. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. You got to you got to make sure that you work in a way that works for you. Kim, I just want to thank you so much. Thank you. This was tons of fun. Really enjoyed the conversation. 
The Relentless is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. I'm Dr. Julie Gurner. Thanks so much for listening, and please join us next time. Copyright Century 21 Real Estate, LLC. All rights reserved. Century 21 Real Estate LLC fully supports the principles of the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Opportunity Act. Each office is independently owned and operated. This material may contain suggestions and best practices that you may use at your discretion. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals featured and not necessarily of Century 21 Real Estate.